So I should have said this from jump, but I'm new here. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> oh, well. But listen, there is explicit content in both this episode and more than likely every episode that you will hear moving forward. Hip hop, like any other genre, is a passionate art form and sometimes passion has a little bit of cussing in it. However, that does not take away from the richness and the depth found in these songs. While you listen, I pray that you would do as my daddy says, eat the meat and spit out the bones. Got it. All right, bet. Enjoy. Hey, y'all. You're listening to Link in the Chain, a bi-weekly podcast that aims to reveal the depth and vastness of hip-hop one episode at a time. We take our favorite methodologies, albums, artists, and songs, and strip them to their core, figuring out what exactly makes them so magnetic. I'm your host, Jillian Grace. Let's get started. I'm just doing what Pete did for me. Pete Brain did for me and what James Brown did for them. It's still just a pan of forward. I just always look at it as a link in the chain, man. Like, it's a link in the chain. Earlier this year, I had the opportunity of a lifetime. As some of you may know, I am currently a graduate student at Manhattan School of Music in the Jazz Arts Program. This past semester, a string of Zoom masterclasses were held that involved students performing for some of the world's top artists. I was fortunate enough to participate in a masterclass that featured feedback from Grammy Award-winning vocalist Cecile McLaurin-Salvant. Cecile was a beam of light. She sat at her dining room table, skin flawless, eyes bright, and proceeded to pour generously into whoever would listen. Out of everything she said, though, one thing in particular stood out. That evening, I sang two songs for her. The first, an original, which, don't ask to hear it, mind your business. (laughs) And the second, a standard that was written by Duke Ellington. I got it bad, and that ain't good. My poor heart is sentimental, not made of the song in the traditional ballad style though. With hopes to impress her, I upped the tempo and, for lack of better words, went for blood. And I'm not gonna lie, okay, I did my thing. (laughs) I sat in the pocket, I made sure to swing hard, I sang every color and note and I phrased that thing real good. I understood the assignment, or at least I thought I did. After my performance and a few other remarks, Cecile made an unintentionally sobering comment. She said, I think I enjoyed the second song too much. I was smiling and dancing along and I enjoyed your singing, but I think I enjoyed it all too much. She went on to ask me how I prepared for the piece or any piece for that matter. She inquired on how I approached lyrics and subject matter. And then she went on to ask if I was familiar with the piece, My Man by Billie Holiday. In the song, Billy Laments, which is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow, 
She talks about how her man wasn't much on looks, had eyes for other women, and even beat her. She goes down the laundry list of everything wrong with this person who still seemed to hold all of her affections. When Billy would sing this tune, though, she'd often sing it with a sinister attitude, a sly and slender smile plastered on her face. Billy's demeanor, from the audience's perspective, didn't come off as though she was hopeless at all. However, it still evoked emotion from her listeners. Even though the expression didn't align with the words per se, her actions still managed to carry meaning. I learned that day that everything should be done with intention. Every note, tempo marking, every phrase, every lyric, it should all be done for a reason bigger than one's ability to show off their musical gymnastics. Cecile didn't condemn me for upping the tempo. She said herself that she was dancing along to the rendition. But what she taught me is that what will resonate with people, what they will leave with, will always be intention. This past Friday, TDE's prodigal son, Isaiah Rashad, released his third project, The House is Burning. In a recent interview with Fader, Rashad said that although a lot of his ballads didn't make the final cut for the album, he still considered this to be his most depressing body of work yet. When asked about that comment by Rolling Stone, he said that that may not have been the right word and instead refers to it as his most honest and vulnerable project. Both of these statements got me to thinking. What does it look like when musicians reimagine their lament? What happens when they take the most vulnerable parts of themselves, present it through their art, but don't present it in a way that is seemingly sad? That's what we're looking to today. Let's get started. Came out bustin', came out puffin', came out fuckin' on your cousin. I do all these bruises, worse than a daddy, but you love her, you in trouble. I'm the sending, I'm gon' bob her to a setting. That's your busy, it ain't shit. I went shopping, left it running, check my honey, check my onion. We watch cable and my auntie, cause my Five years removed from his sophomore album, The Sun's Tirade, Isaiah Rashad came through the gate swinging. Rashad stretches himself across 16 tracks, weaving in and out of different flows, cadences, and even a little singing. He digs his heels into his Chattanooga roots, paying homage to Southern legends like DJ Screw and Pimp C, and brings along fellow Tennessee rappers like Duke Deuce and YG Tut. Rashad is both charming and charismatic, playful and witty. He picks up exactly where he left off in 2016, giving his listeners a deep sigh of relief. But sandwiched between the star-studded features and Smokey Robinson-inspired crooning is a fulfilled prophecy. Rashad was right. The lyrics on this album are fairly somber. They're a culmination of every tragedy that's happened to him from when he last dropped. A life that included him depleting his savings, battling with drugs, moving back home to Tennessee, and crashing both his car and the car of Top, CEO of TDE. The title track of the album illustrates these struggles. Now, before we get into dissecting the song, y'all know how I feel about a good sample. The chorus is a nod to Goody Mob's cell therapy. Let's listen to the OG and then the remake. (laughs) 
Although he's paying homage to the Atlanta legends, he flips the famous lyrics. This is what Genius had to say about the chorus. The violent nature of the original lyrics are flipped by Rashad to comment on his current mental state. Instead of the aggressive message originally portrayed by the mob, Isaiah's chorus shows how his anxiety cripples him, working himself up over a figment of his imagination that he sees outside of his house. In the verses, Rashad is in full lament. No amount of chains or women will solve his emptiness. His failed attempts of soul searching results in him spending obscene amounts of money. Bars like, I don't even like Hanny, fuck it. Night Rider, still drinking, ducking, put his battle with alcoholism center stage. He doesn't shy away from the attic label. He stands in it and takes full ownership of his story. But unless you're actually listening to the lyrics, you don't get a sense that Rashad is drowning both literally and figuratively. The TGGI and Free P beat feels like classic Zaywap. Between the booming bass line and his outcast-esque inflections, this is the type of production that lends itself to riding around your city with the windows down on a summer night. And honestly, you still could bump this on a hot August night. <laughs> but please believe, by the time you get home, you're going to be asking yourself a couple questions. A couple deep, introspective questions. <laughs> As of today, Rashad has arrived at a fairy tale ending of sorts. In 2019, he found salvation in a rehabilitation center. He recorded the house's burning completely sober. In every interview that I've watched or article that I've read while preparing for this episode, there's a lightness or a weightlessness about him. He seems happy. It's as if he took his laments, took his vulnerabilities, left them in the music, and wiped his slate clean. When speaking about the meaning of the title and overall messaging of his album, he said the following. The house is burning is like a scenario that means you can either lay down with the flames or even die from trying to hold on to material things and shit like that, or you can get out in a timely manner. And if it all burns down, you're still going to try and figure it out, right? Because if not, you might as well have just laid in that motherfucker. You got to start over. Shit, sometimes you gotta start over two, three, four times, five times, six times. It's just that type of shit. That's all it means. You gotta have encouraged thinking, perseverance. While producing this episode, I couldn't help but think about another artist who lamented often. Eunice Kathleen Wayman, better known as Nina Simone, is not only one of the greatest musicians of our time, but constantly challenged and pushed the borders of what vulnerability, pain, and lamenting within music looks like. Miss Simone, like Isaiah, lived a life that had more than its fair share of ups and downs. She was managed by her husband, a relationship filled with turmoil and both emotional and physical abuse. She battled many demons and, like Rashad, took a leave of absence from performing. However, out of all of these trials, the music that resonates with millions today initially was her proverbial prison sentence. White labels and radio stations disassociated from her due to her pro-black messaging. One of the songs that was on the list? 
a song that was inspired by the bombing of a black Birmingham church in 1963. Mississippi Goddamn. Alabama's got me so upset Tennessee made me lose my rest And everybody knows about Mississippi Goddamn Alabama's got me so upset Tennessee made me lose my rest pressure much longer somebody say a prayer Alabama's gotten me so now there are plenty of songs where Nina perfects the art of lamenting a few of which I will be sure to include on the corresponding playlist for this week's episode but Mississippi Goddamn is quite frankly the blueprint for redefined expression of sorrow and mourning she doesn't sing with a smile like Billie Holiday and my man the subject matter is too serious but she finds a way to not compromise her musicality, the sound that is uniquely hers. Her voice cuts like a knife through the show tune. The progression sans lyrics could have easily been mistaken for any other fast-paced song. And to be honest, I'd like to believe that Miss Simone did that purposely. Here's what PBS said while reflecting on the tune. The song's stinging lyrics subvert the lively, up-tempo refrains of the melody itself, seemingly a commentary on America's eagerness to ignore or wallpaper over the pain of racism and segregation. The mostly white audience who heard the show tune as it was being performed live at Carnegie Hall did not seem to get the message at first. At the start of the performance, when Simone announces, the name of the tune is Mississippi Goddamn, and I mean every word of it, the crowd titters and laughs. In the middle of the recording, when she addresses the crowd again, bet you thought I was kidding, didn't you? Her question is met with only a few murmurs. I believe that there is a real power in what Isaiah and Miss Simone chose to do through their music, and I see it being perceived in two separate ways. The first is having the ability to use this music as a means of closure. You are in a somber state, you're no longer there, and you're now releasing music in a manner that allows you to close the proverbial chapter. The second way I view it, though, isn't as cut and dry as the first. It leaves room for moments where, after you've written the words, sang the song, and said your piece, your lament is still present. It's an acknowledgement to the pain and sorrow that you've experienced, but also teaches you how to live through it, even if those emotions are still bubbling beneath the surface. This type of lament reminds me of a song called Laugh, Clown, Laugh. The song is based off of a 1928 silent film with the same name. The plot of the movie is... Wildly inappropriate, (laughs) but the most famous rendition of the song was sung by jazz vocalist Abby Lincoln. Let's take a second and listen to it. Even though you're only make-believing, laugh, clown, laugh. Even though something inside is grieving, laugh, clown, laugh. Don't let your heart grow too mellow. Just be a real punchinello fellow. You're supposed to brighten up the place and laugh, clown. Ain't a lot of smiles of
So now I want to hear from y'all. These songs are all around us. And if you take a moment to really just listen to some of these lyrics, you will notice that a lot of these artists are very sad. (laughs) They are quite sad individuals. So please reach out. Let me know what your favorite examples of redefined lament in music is. Um, One really great example is Andre 3000 on Hey Ya. Yeah, he was he was going through it. <laughs> he was really going through it. But yeah, I look forward to hearing from y'all and see you in two weeks. Thanks again for tuning in to Link in the Chain. The theme song was produced by Hype Alexander. All research, producing, and recording was done by myself, Jillian Grace. If you like what you heard in this episode, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to this show. Thanks again. See ya.